Our scripture reading this morning is from Hebrews 11:17 through 22, page 1008 in your pew Bible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to share in service this morning. And we just pray that we open our hearts and minds so that we can hear your word, flow closer to you and each other. In Jesus' name, amen. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. The word of God for the people of God. We continue to make our way through this roll call of faith, and um, the pace is picking up. In these short verses, we've, um, uh, well, we've covered most of the book of Genesis. So here's your sermon on Genesis in a matter of minutes as we look through. What we're going to see is the way, as, as the writer of Hebrews wants us to see, that faith is looking to the future. Um, and faith is looking at the, the promises God has promised to the future. Uh, we're going to see how um, that faith looks to the future in spite of a present that makes it look impossible. It looks to the future in spite of the circumstances around us that would cast doubt on that future. Uh, the second thing we're going to see is how it's the blessings for the future generation, the, the future beyond ourselves. And then we're going to also see how this faith in the future both reflects and participates in bringing about that redemption, the way that redemption comes. So I'm going to really hope I can remember those headings as uh, we work through it. So we have the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Joseph, and we have all of them laid out for us. And particularly, we're seeing um, some stories that show difficult situations, but also difficult situations as they look to the future. So, um, verse 17 and, and tells us about Abraham offering up Isaac. And then 18, um, that he knew it was through Isaac should the offspring name be named And in 19, that he considered that God was able even to raise him up from the dead, uh, which he figuratively speaking received him back. That that, that what we see is this story that you're probably familiar with where Abraham was commanded to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And he takes him up on the mountain, um, Isaac carrying the wood, and they go and Abraham is being tested and at the last moment, God stays his hand, since an angel says, stop, and provides a ram that's going to be sacrificed, and they, they return. One of the things we see here uh, in this, 
what, what has to be the most horrific story in the Old Testament. He's drawing our attention to the way Abraham was trusting God, not just for saving Isaac, but because Isaac was the promise that Abraham had received of, of the blessing. Abraham had been blessed. You're going to have children and grandchildren, more than the sands, more of the seashore, more than the stars of the sky. And he's been promised all this. And you'll remember even specifically, he's promised that he's going to receive him through Isaac. And so there is Abraham being told to sacrifice his son. Not only all the, just what any parent would imagine what that command would feel like, but also it's like pulling all the promises away. If, if Isaac doesn't have these children and grandchildren, where is this nation going to come from? How is this possibly going to take place? And so it's all the promises seem to be revoked. Everything seems like an impossible situation. How could you possibly trust God? And yet, Abraham does. And the amazing thing is, it's in Genesis. Uh, the writer of Hebrews isn't making something up. He's actually referring to what Genesis itself says. Genesis 22 tells us the story. It's Isaac, um, and Abraham takes Isaac and a couple of servants they saddle the donkey, and then they take these young men. They cut the burnt wood. They find the mountain. And in the verse 5 of chapter 22 of Genesis, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And then it goes about the rest of the story. And something we might miss is that almost sounds like Abraham says, We're going to go, we're going to worship, and I'm going to come back to you. But, but actually what is said, because Hebrew is one of those languages where verbs include the number of people it's speaking about, right? So we've lost most of that in English, except our to be verbs. That's why if, um, you know, we don't say we is, right? Is is a singular. I is. We don't say I are. Are is you know, plural. So it's still there in the verb. So in other words, if you're reading this, you're catching that it says, we are going to go. The verb itself is saying, we are going to go. The verb itself says, we are going to worship. And the verb itself says, and we are going to return. Abraham is trusting the promise is going to stand. Somehow there is a promise beyond the death of Isaac. And they return and they come. And so he sees here that he's looking at a situation that seems hopeless. And yet he trusts. He comes back, he returns. And Isaac is one who is the, given back from the dead. Isaac himself later um, passes the blessing on. The covenant promises go to uh, Jacob and Esau. And if you start looking at that story, it'd be a Dr. Phil episode. I mean, it's just, it's a family in turmoil and deception. I mean, Esau has his favorite. Um, Isaac has his favorite in Esau. Um, Isaac's wife has his, um, her favorite in Jacob. Um, Isaac is saying, hey, if you do this, I will bless you and send him off to get some food. He brings, um, the, as he's off hunting, um, Jacob disguises himself and pretends to be Esau, and that's how he receives the blessing that Hebrews is telling us about. And you have to think, how could 
this possibly be the family God is going to bless and bring about covenant promises to? They're, they're, they're at each other's throats. They're lying. Jacob has to leave because his brother's going to kill him. And all of this is just turmoil. And you wonder, how is this going to take place? Jacob himself even leaves when he comes back. And um, he has his own children. Um, he has those who would be the fathers of the 12 tribes. Again, what a situation. So much that... I'm having to remember who's who. Jacob um, has his son, beloved, that he gives the, 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 the many-colored coat to. And the other brothers kill him. This is, this is God's family. This is the one the nations come from. And not only that, they're, they're in the land, but they haven't settled. And there's a drought so bad that they eventually have to wind up going to Egypt. So here's God's promises a son who is killed by his brothers. He's taken into Egypt, arrested, and, and then the whole family has to go down to Egypt to escape the, the famine in the land. This doesn't look like God's blessing. It doesn't look like everything's coming to fulfillment and the promises will stand. It looks like everything's going to fall apart. And yet, we hear again, Joseph as he's dying, he tells them, when you return from Egypt, take my bones to the promised land and bury me there. Bury me in, back home. There can't be any hope of them returning. And, and over the years, as they become enslaved, and over the years, as they are there, and it just seems like being an enslaved people in Egypt is who they are, they hold to the promise they hold to the promise, and then 400-some-odd years later, they pick up his bones, and they march out of Egypt, and they enter the land all the time. It looks like God's promises are failing. It looks like things are in turmoil. And what we see here is a faith that looks at our situation, and whatever it is, knows that God's promise is greater than what we see before us. You know, we, we follow Christ and we trust in him and we commit our lives to him. It doesn't mean suddenly our lives are easy. It doesn't mean that suddenly we're exempt from the news of a test um, that they want us to come in and, and see what's, what's causing this medical issue. It doesn't exempt us from family in conflict. It doesn't exempt us from difficulties at work. And it can be really easy for us to know that we have the promises of God. We know we have his presence. We know we have his blessings. But then to look around us and think, yeah, but how could that possibly work out in my life? How does that possibly work out when it looks like things are in shambles and things are falling apart? Or if things are going well with us, we look around the culture around us and we just think, are we in 1923? I mean, we seem to be replaying all the mistakes of the past. And we think, is everything just going to fall apart? Can we possibly stand up to the problems that we're facing? It doesn't seem like the church is going to stand. We see things withering and growing weaker. And God promises that we're going to stand, that he's going to build his kingdom through us. How do we hope? And what we see is that we continue to promise. Let me just 
we see them and we see that we need to look beyond whatever circumstances is right in front of us to remember the promise because he is faithful and he has always been faithful. The story goes on and on, and throughout history, it looks as though the church is going to collapse. It looks as though people are going to fail, and God has always remained faithful to his promises. A couple of years ago, as we were dealing with all the the COVID stuff, I was pretty anxious, as I think a lot of people were, and I came in here, and... um, I walked between all the tape that was in these pews here and looked at the names of the ministers who were here before. It was so helpful. As, as we look at whatever we're facing at any given time and we have to think, oh man, nobody's dealt with this kind of stuff before. How in the world do we, how do we be the church in the midst of this? And I look back and I see some names in the, the 40s and I just think, what was it like pastoring during World War II? What was it like being the church during World War II? People have faced difficult times. And look back and, you know, there was World War II because there was a World War I and there was an epidemic. What was it like to be the church in the midst of that? It looked like everything was going to collapse. It looks like everything's going to fall apart. Look back even further, 1860s. How were they the church following God in the midst of the Civil War? You didn't know if there was going to be a Covington here in a few years. How do you go about proclaiming the gospel and teaching your children and catechizing and being faithful? And you just go further and further back. If the church before us during revolution and plague and epidemic and all the things that have been faced and look at you you're here. They were faithful. They trusted. And it got passed on. And the blessings continued. They couldn't imagine what was coming. But it's here. They were faithful in their time. They didn't look just at what was around them. They looked to the promises. And you are part of the fulfillment of that promise. Which is our second point is it's very easy for us to think about, well, it's a faithful look to the future with others. In other words, it's really easy for us to think about blessings of myself, blessings for me, blessings for my family, the hope I have in heaven, the hope I have of eternal life, the hope I have of everlasting life. But look at what he's pointing us to is they're blessing the next generation. Abraham blesses Isaac. Isaac blesses Jacob. Jacob blesses the children. Each one is remembering there is a future beyond just me and my hope. What a great thing to think of is not just that I'm receiving the blessings and that is something you all can hope in, but the hope that there's future that we will never see. I mean, to think if if Christ does not return, we have a hope that after we are gone, there will be others here receiving the blessing because of our faithfulness, because of your faithfulness, because you've taught Sunday school, 
because you've blessed others, because you've willing to make sacrifices for things that another generation might benefit from. That I might say, okay, I'm not getting my way on this, but these kids are going to receive a blessing for it. I'm, I really am tired to do this, but I'm going to give myself so that the youth will receive something. I, I might take a personal sacrifice so that friends and neighbors and family might feel more welcome here. And there's another generation of believers, not through DNA, but through baptism. That is, that, that is part of our promise. And I especially want to point us to the blessings that are given in the family. We, we want to reach out, and, and part of evangelism is, of course, going to those who don't know Jesus and inviting them to know him into a relationship with him. But it's also one of the things we see here is father to son, parent to child. They receive that covenant blessing within the family, and that's part of the way God n- normally works. Many of us are here because we received from our parents, and that, that's part of what we see in the New Testament is where the, the blessings of the covenant are given to that covenant family. The, the, the children grow up hearing the scriptures, hearing the promises, singing the praises. But before they even know things, they, they are receiving the benefits of God's promises and blessings. That's why we baptize children. They've always been part of the covenant family. And we pray that they receive those blessings. So I I just want to remind parents, you've promised if your child was baptized to bring them to using all of the means of grace that they might know Christ. You made a promise that you were going to give them the blessings that Abraham gave Isaac and Isaac gave Jacob and that we hand on is that you've promised they're going to be receiving the blessings of being in the covenant community of receiving prayer, of being taught by this community. So are you bringing them to learn Jesus? Are are you bringing them to worship? Are you bringing them into um, places where they're going to learn, with Sunday school, with youth, with being around other believers' children? Are we blessing them that we see that, you know, this might be difficult, might have to get up a little early, but am I going to do this so that they receive the blessing that we're looking to the future? We're looking for the hope of the blessings in the future. And that is a blessing that all of us have promised to bestow. Each one of us made a promise that we would support and encourage. And so even if um, children are grown or not here or non-existent, you've made a promise to our covenant children to bless them and, and to be part. So we want to look not just to what's been promised me individually, That is a great joy, but also the promise that is going to flow from us to those who come after us. And what we see is as they look past the things around them and as they look to the future blessings, they are at one, reflecting the hope of redemption. Their lives are here reflecting the way God redeems us and saves us. But it's also participating in that. What I mean is, when Abraham is obedient, that is part of the story that God is using to bless Abraham and to bring about a nation. He's promised a Messiah through the people of Israel. And as they go about believing and trusting, 
God is working through that to eventually bring the Messiah who is going to redeem them. And, and it's the same with us, that we, to the extent that we look at him and we trust in him and we're obedient to him, God uses our obedience to also bless others who come to faith through us, to bless others as our lives reflect also the same Savior. So their lives reflect it. Let me remind us as we hear the story of Abraham, do we not see a picture as a father is giving his only begotten son up on a mountain taking the wood to be sacrificed? It's a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of the crucifixion. Of course it is. And when we see Jacob clothed in his older brother's um, garments to receive the blessing of the father, it's us that we receive the blessing of the father because we're clothed in the righteousness of our elder brother Christ. And then when we see Jacob, I I have to to keep this all straight. We, we, We see Joseph, Jacob's son, as he is sent away, cast off into a dungeon in a pit as good as dead, rejected by his brothers, and then raised up to be the right hand of the king over all the world. It's Jesus. It's always Jesus. Their lives are reflecting that. And they show us how we trust. And now we come to faith in him. We also, in our lives, reflect Christ. When we offer forgiveness, they look forward, we look back. We suffer as Christ does. We give the same forgiveness. When, when we give up something of ourselves so that others benefit, we are reflecting the cross. When we um, go about and live and serve, we mimic the one who washed the disciples' feet. When we give of ourselves, we reflect the one who um, divided bread for the people and fed them. That our lives also, when we deny ourselves and serve him, Christ is formed in us. And we are pointing to the one who has redeemed us and saved us. When we do it, that this is what it means for Christ to be for us to be crucified in Christ, with Christ, and him to be formed in us, and the life we live in the flesh is now living in him, that we do this, that our lives, ignoring the circumstances and seeing by faith the promises, reflect the one in whom we trust. Would you stand and let us state what we believe through the Apostles' Creed?